Hello, everyone. Welcome to Making Space, a Diversity Dialogue, and I'm your host, Cole. This is a bi-weekly podcast where together we'll have questions answered about socially sensitive topics while learning about how to create lasting relationships with diverse people. This episode, we'll be discussing the words behind the term LGBTQ+. And here to help me is our expert guest, Emily Van Kirk. Hi! (laughs) They are a student development specialist at the Office of Diversity and Inclusion at Tarleton State University. And tell us a little bit about what you do. I used to primarily handle our LGBTQ plus programming, but additionally, I now handle our campus-wide programming, including our diversity dialogues. Our next one starts up um, in February. But right now I oversee our campus-wide programs. I advise two organizations, the LGBT Service Fraternity, Lambda Theta Eta, and the ASL, that's American Sign Language Club. And I also just generally support students on this campus and see what we can do to make this campus more engaging. That, that's incredible. That is a long list of things that you do. I like to be busy. <laughs> busy and knowledgeable, and that's what we like to have on this podcast. So we're going to go straight into the history of LGBTQ people. And it's really been around for a long time, even now, even though the internet has kind of made it seem as if it's a new trendy thing. It's really not. Just because the internet has blown it up doesn't mean that it's suddenly new. Um, There has been records of same-sex relationships found in almost every ancient culture, whether it um, whether that society believe it was good or bad. At yeah, the time. yeah. No, dating back to Greco-Roman society, ancient ancient India, Persia, all throughout society, it's been very common. I know. At least, <laughs> I did a study abroad in London. Actually, and we talked a lot about uh, their history and their monarchs, and it was brought up a lot that there was some same same sex relationships, especially within the courts, and pretty much every monarch had that. <laughs> Just a little side piece. <laughs> Pretty much. A they, little extra. They were, uh, they were actually a lot of the times promoted if they were um, good lovers. Sure, <laughs> sure. And I mean, it's not like it's going to threaten the hierarchy or the inheritance. Of course. You know, they were uh, born to be there. Exactly. All right. Um, as many other minority groups, LGBTQ plus people were or have been and still are Uh, discriminated against and oppressed during history. While some civilizations did not segregate homosexual relationships and heterosexual relationships, some of them did. Um, In, I believe, the 6th century, there was the start of laws um, against homosexuality. Some were specifically in the military for gay men, and then because women were at home and that wasn't as out in the open. Uh, But in most cases, they did call for the death penalty, if not heavy beatings, unfortunately. Yeah, there's definitely records of uh, homoeroticism and homosexuality being penalized, not only within uh, criminal law, but also within religious contexts. Yes, unfortunately, with the spread of biblical influence, uh, it seemed to be more common to have uh, homosexual people beaten and killed. It's it's prominent in a number of religions. I don't want to say that it's particular to anyone. However, um, there are some religions in which it's seen as very, very holy to be LGBT or to be queer. 
For example, within certain indigenous populations and cultures, there are religions in which it's venerated to be seen as um, LGBT. Oh, I didn't know that. Yes, absolutely. Um, It may not be within a context that is uh, typical to uh, Western American identity, but uh, some two-spirit identities, which are very, very exclusive to Native American First Nations peoples, are highly, highly respected and seen as inherently wise positions that combine or go beyond um, containing the powers of the feminine and the masculine. So a lot of times we can get hung up on the fact that in some cultures and in some religions, the LGBT identities are looked down on, but in some cultures they're respected. That's really cool. That's really cool to know because you don't see much of that, or at least it's not brought up very much. Yeah, it just depends what lens you're looking at it from. I think we're going to move now into the people who are associated with LGBTQ+. And I think the first one we're going to go to is not a household name, but it is um, of a German and Jewish doctor, Magnus Hirschfeld. Hirschfeld. Oh, my God, Hirschfeld. Not enough people know this name. This man is revolutionary. If this man's work had remained publicly known and available, the modern the modern state of trans rights would be a hundred years ahead of where it is right now. The modern state of LGBT rights in general would be 200 years ahead of where it is right now. Uh, sorry, I got so excited. But uh, this man was so ahead of his time. He was doing research on LGBT identity decades before people were even willing to look and at these people and treat them like humans. And the reason, unfortunately, why that is was, of course, in Germany during uh, the 1930s, 40s, mm-hmm. uh, of course, was the Holocaust. And a lot of book burnings happened then. And unfortunately, in May of 1933, his whole library was burned. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. all of that research, all of that time and effort and the forethought of knowledge just was gone. Absolutely destroyed. But um, what, what remained, what was still known of his work, was used to support what we do now currently. So his influence lasts. Right, right. Now, following World War II, the gay rights movements started to gain a louder voice. It was still around, of course, before then, but it started to get louder. Uh, there were a lot of protests, and there was one prominent event in LGBTQ plus history, um, It's one that a lot of people already know about. It's one that's talked about the most is Stonewall, the Stonewall riots in 1969. And this was a riot that began after a series of police raids and poor treatment of the patrons at the Stonewall Inn, a local hangout for transgender individuals, um, sex workers, and other LGBTQ folks. Uh, do you have much to say about that, Emily? <laughs> I, there's tons to say, I know. Oh, my gosh. That is an amazing, amazing story, and it's very central to the identity of the movement, and it's not even the first major riot. Right. That's. It's actually a little bit later mm-hmm. than a lot of the things. I, in my research, there are just lists upon lists upon lists of activism that happened way before Stonewall and I didn't know that. It's just the tip of the iceberg. It's the one that that took off the most and that's not to downgrade Stonewall at all. It's an amazing riot and I'm so glad that it happened. It sounds so weird to say that but 
it, it made something happen, but it took so much to get there. There were the Compton Cafeteria riots that happened years prior in, I believe, 57, 53. Sorry, it's been a while since I took my history courses. <laughs> That's okay. But... The thing about activism and advocacy is that it's not something that happens overnight. You have to stay consistent. You have to stay passionate. You have to keep fighting and trying in the face of no results. And Stonewall wouldn't have happened without Compton. And we wouldn't be here without Stonewall. Right. We wouldn't have Obergell v. Fell. I think that's the correct. That's That should be the gay marriage uh, like should be the gay marriage laws, y'all. But if it's not, a, please forgive me. Not a not a lawyer. It was fairly recent, but a lot of things have happened. Yes, I've slept since then, and I'm on some Lots serious decongestants. But the point is that Stonewall made things happen because these people, these women, these men, these non-binary folks, these sex workers, these office workers, these poor people, these homeless people, these starving people said, no, we're just trying to have a drink, y'all. Leave us the hell alone. And if you won't leave us alone, we will make you. Yeah, I think that's a really important point to bring up was it wasn't... um it wasn't because they were doing anything. They exactly. were just chilling in a bar. It just was illegal to have a gay bar, y'all. It was illegal to have a gay bar. It was illegal to have a gay bar. So the police came and raided it because there were gay people there. Just That's what happened. People, right. people were gay in public, so the police came. That was, that, it's too much. And, and of course, I, in my research, it, it's not in my notes here, but gay bars existed long long before this and unfortunately at that time it was criminalized to have one it was a huge moment in lgbtq plus history and it wasn't something that was it wasn't spurred from anything they did wrong it's just them being people unfortunately yeah yeah they shouldn't have had to fight to have a beer in public i mean not in public public but the same kind of public that i i would get to right all right and now of course we talked about how there are a lot of things before Stonewall, but now we're going to go forward to about the 1980s where the term LGBT started being used. Now, I couldn't pinpoint an exact date, but that was the range was the 80s and the 90s when that started being coined. Mm-hmm. 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 And that was coined by activists. Correct. Yes. Yes. So uh, something to be understood is really that there wasn't a lot of joint activism between uh, LGBT men and women for a really long time. It wasn't seen as a cause that was shared. And it really wasn't seen as a cause that was shared between uh, lesbian and gay men uh, and trans people. That's it's only been seen as a as an intercommunity cause for the last, like, 30 years, if that. That's so incredible because when you think about it, a lot of the uh, phrases that we throw around is, oh, the community. Right. But historically speaking, gay men have advocated together, lesbians have advocated together, and um, trans people have advocated together. And it's only been in the last 30 or 40 years that there's been really a push since the usage of this phrase, that there's been a push to advocate as an overall LGBT community, which, I mean, I'm going to be honest, y'all, I was born in 91, and I haven't really encountered the research on this term because this term was in use before I was born. Right. But I would have to guess that this was an intentional piece of effort in response to the AIDS crisis, um, considering that during the 1980s, 
and 90s, much of the cis, straight, heteronormative culture was choosing to turn a blind eye to the AIDS crisis in the United States. And some people were even uh, explicitly stating that it was a punishment from God to the LGBT community mm-hmm. for being queer, that they deserve to die. People would refuse to treat. Nurses and doctors would refuse to treat individuals in hospitals. And uh, that's when I start in the history that I've, I've read, because remember, I have an English degree. All of my education, all of my expertise on this, this is self-taught. If I know it, you can learn it too. Um, in my research, what I found is the development of joint advocacy has happened in a couple of waves between lesbian and gay men, but the strongest wave was post the AIDS crisis when gay men started dying in incredibly high numbers and no one would help them. Mm. I think... Which would that, be about that time. Right. That I, I didn't put those two together, but... I think you're completely right on that. A crisis can either bring people together or separate them. And I think in this community, um, LGBTQ plus people really tried to come together. And the coining of this term specifically is what kind of laid the groundwork. And I do have to confess that I'm going to have to go do more research because I am hypothesizing on air right now. (laughs) Right. But I do want to be very, very honest there. But given that it's also coming out of GLAAD, I would have to uh, have to guess that that's mm-hmm. probably. And um, some of the terms you used earlier, we're going to make sure and hit hit those again a little bit in our vocabulary yes. section. I promise. So if you're a little lost, it's okay. Just hang on, and we'll get to those um, definitions. But I did want to mention what Emily had about GLAD. In 2016 is when, um, yeah, was when the LGBT. Q term was, was coined, and that was made official by GLAD, and GLAD is the Gay Lesbian Alliance Against Defamation. Um, and I believe defamation is just words against or hate speech. Yes, yes, so to defame is to degrade someone's character. Right, right. All right, now, as I talked about vocabulary a little bit, that's what we're going to go over. And I think the first one we're going to cover is ally. Now, It's, of course, ally is used in a lot of different terms and contexts. So ally in the Webster's definition is to enter into an alliance or build a relationship. But in this context, it's going to be a little bit different. And I'm going to let Emily explain that because they are one of the people who coordinates ally training here on the Tarleton campus. Thanks. So ally at Tarleton is a program that we use to help LGBTQIA plus students find safe spaces and safe relationships on campus with accepting individuals. And what I mean by that is just folks who are LGBT don't always know who they can trust with that information and who they can talk to about things openly without fear of judgment. Um, And also people who want to be that kind of person for others don't always have the skills or information they need to be that person. So we like to help bridge that gap. We have two of those sessions coming up to help folks do that. You can find them on our calendar at tarleton.edu backslash diversity. 
I think that's a backslash. It might be a forward slash. I'm sorry, y'all. But you can find it on our website. Please register and come see me. Um, but we walk you through those sessions, and at the end, you get an opportunity to sign up to be one of our allies. You're uh, made visible via a placard or pin, and then um, you're able to keep up with us via a newsletter, and we try to host events throughout the year. We offer this on all our campuses, and we're trying to expand our network and reach. So if you have program ideas, let me know. Yes, and Ally is really, it's a way for you to understand how to advocate for others or just to understand others in general. Yes. Uh, it's a lot like the goal of this podcast is to make sure um, you can get the questions you have answered without being judged and having the same respect for your peers as they do for you. The first two are very introductory, and I have the goal of making you able to support others. And then I have some extra stuff I do if you want to do it where we get super deep. Right. All right, I think we're going to move on to our next set of terms, and that's going to be sex versus gender. Now, sex in this context means you're a combination of physical characteristics that assign you to a certain um, uh, assign you to a certain sex um, at birth, right? And gender would be uh, what you most identify with, either male, female, neither, or both, that sort of thing. Maybe something totally different. Exactly. Two-spirit is a great example. Yes, that's um, an identity separate from uh, what we would normally think of, and it's specific to indigenous people. Mm-hmm. And I think it's specific per... It's very specific. Yes. It? <laughs> it originally, I believe, comes out from the Zuni tribe. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you want to restate that? Maybe give them a little bit more information? I mean, um, I'll just restate the sex a little bit okay. uh, to explain why I asked you to phrase it that way. So right. a lot of y'all may have heard sex is more of a physical characteristic thing, like, oh, you have a penis, you're a male, you have a vagina, you're a female. I'm going to go ahead and say that because he said it was PG-13. Yes. The reason I asked her to say it like that is because there's this thing called intersex people that I'll talk about later where you have a combination of physical sex characteristics. Um, and uh, that includes things like your uh, chromosomes and your testes and your, I don't know, all kinds of things. And honestly, tell me right now, do you know what your chromosomes are? No, you don't. I don't. I you definitely don't. don't. So um, it's just not always accurate to assume that physical sex is as simple as a binary option. And research has recently found that it's not in most cases. Um, So generally, we use sex and gender as separate terms because they don't always align. That's because transgender people exist. And then gender um, is what you most identify with. Male, female, something neither, both, beyond, or different. And that can be really hard and kind of brain-breaking. And if it is, that's okay. Right. I'm non-binary, and the concept of gender is brain-breaking for me, too. And now I just don't have one. (laughs) Pro tip, I recommend it. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) That's great. Okay. All right, let's let's move on to sexual orientation and what that means. And it's used to describe or label who individuals are attracted to. Uh, for example, being a gay man um, is a sexual orientation, meaning that a man loves a man or is attracted to a man. 
wonderful. And I would be careful with the phrasing there because romantic attraction is this. Right. Romantic, retra- uh, romantic attraction and sexual attraction are a bit different. And I can get all in these niggery details. I have a whole coloring page. Come to Ally. <laughs> right. Or if you're not around the Stephenville, Midlothian, Waco area, then I'm sure there, there are some resources we'll talk about at the end where you can try to find one if you're really interested. Or I'll email you the coloring page. <laughs> right. All right. Uh, let's get into pronouns. So pronouns or if you remember your freshman English... <laughs> Or I guess elementary. I don't. It's something we use every day, and that's gonna be she, her, hers, he, him, his, they, them, theirs, and there, of course, are more that have been um, coined as of late uh, in recent times. Now, just an example of that would be that's his dog. That's just that's a short example of how you utilize pronouns. Who left their jacket? Exactly. Exactly. Um, And we're going to move on to Pride. I know you wanted to talk a little bit about this, but it originally began as a protest for gay rights and now has become a parade and celebration and a community gathering. So it's actually um, a memorial of Stonewall that Mm -hmm. was started by a friend of the individuals who were at Stonewall, Brenda Howard, who is a bisexual woman. So I just like to mention that wherever I can. Of course. Because she was a bisexual woman who was married to a man. And a lot of times uh, straight passing by women, or as I like to call them, bisexual women. Right. Because um, I don't understand why we always have to do that to bi women. They're bisexual all the time. They never stopped. They always were. Um, sometimes get asked about their position and placement in the community, particularly when they date men. And I think, you know, they belong at Pride. They, right. they started it. That's it. That's all I have to say. A bi woman started it. They belong there. Right, right. I think that's very important to mention. I'm just petty as a former bi woman. All right. Uh, I think we're going to go on to our guest highlight, and that's where Emily is going to talk to y'all a little bit pretty much about everything and the words behind the letters of what we currently use, LGBTQ+, and they have a lot more letters that I'm unsure about. So they're going to tell you what each letter means and a little bit about the person the letter is referring to. Wonderful. And I did add some extra ones because when we talked about our notes, I was like, ooh, I want to talk about this, this, and this. Is that cool? Yes. Um, but we'll start with the acronym. So what I have for y'all is LGBTQPIA. And I'm going to throw in some freebies. I'm going to add S and C. So I want to define cisgender and straight for y'all today, too, because y'all belong in my community, even if you're not in the rainbow community. All right. So let's start at the top. Lesbian. Lesbian is our L, right? Right. So a woman who is emotionally, romantically, or sexually attracted to other women. Pretty simple. Pretty straightforward. A girl who likes girls. A lady who loves ladies. (laughs) A sapphic, right? Gay, a person who is emotionally, romantically, or sexually attracted to members of the same gender. Also specifically used to refer to men who like men. Bisexual, a person emotionally, romantically, or sexually attracted to more than one sex, gender, or gender identity, though not necessarily simultaneously in the same way or to the same degree. I think that one has... I put it in my notes. We wanted to mention there are kind of two different definitions of that one. 
Yes, and there are some different ways people like to use it. We've heard um, that it's bisexual means someone who is attracted to both men and women. And then, of course, there's that one, which I kind of like a little bit better, where a person is just um, attracted to two genders. Yes, two or more genders, same and different gender. Exactly. Yeah, so a lot of times um, it seems like the majority of people land on the same or different or two or more genders, and that is inclusive of men and women. So you can be bisexual and be attracted to men and women. There's nothing wrong with that. It could mean that you're also you're attracted to men and non-binary people. Sure, absolutely. And I prefer to go with the um, the more inclusive definition in my work, simply because it's more useful for me. I'm not going to police somebody else's usage of it for themselves. But in my in my work, I work with so many people that it, it's more useful for me to use the one that's more inclusive. Right. right. But yes, some people do use it a little bit differently. Um, next in my little alphabet soup, I do have transgender. Um, just as a note, some of y'all may have been expecting to hear transsexual. That's an older term. Mm-hmm. It's very popular in the UK. Some people in the US like it a lot to use for themselves. I do not ex- suggest using it for them unless right. they ask you to. Um, other people might use it for them, uh, but a lot of times it's a big no-no. So transgender is the preferred term in the USA right, right now. A lot of it in the past, transsexual has been used as a slur against transgender people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's, right, like you said, it's preferred that transgender is used unless they ask otherwise. And they normally have a good reason for using that term. Mm-hmm. And if you are ever curious... A lot of the times, if you're good enough friends or if they're open enough, they'll let you know what they, the reason is they use that. Yeah. I just like to make a note because especially for some folks, if they've heard it before, if they've seen transsexual before, if they've read older literature, you might run into it, especially if you've been curious and done your research. Because mm-hmm. a lot of the older research uses it, um, especially medical research. It's very prominent in medical research, which is a lot of why younger folks who are transgender don't use it is because it's very clinical. Um, and it's associated with some, some medical trauma in a lot of cases. So transgender is very much preferred term. But it's used here as an umbrella term for people whose gender identity and or expression is different from cultural expectations based on the sex they were assigned at birth. So there's a very important caveat here. Something that people get a little confused about for whatever reason. But being trans does not mean that you're also going to be LGBT. You're not necessarily going to be gay. You're not necessarily going to be bi just because you're trans. Those two things have nothing to do with each other. If someone's trans and also lesbian, that's just a coincidence. They're just very, very lucky. They got two rainbow tickets. Um, And then we have Q. There are actually two Qs. I only said Q once, but consider it Q squared. It has a double meaning similar to bisexual in a way. Right, right. We've got questioning, which is exactly what it says on the tin. A term used to describe people who are in the process of exploring or questioning their uh, sexual orientation or gender identity. And then we have queer. Huge red flag here. Okay, flag on the play, Mm y'all. I love the word queer. I am an anomaly. A lot of people are very triggered by this word. In some cases, they've heard it while they were beaten brutally. Right. It's very similar to transsexual in a way. Mm -hmm. It has been used very prominently as a slur Mm -hmm. in 
that's a word that is typically only used by people in the community for right. themselves. Right. Or within academic context. Correct. So you will see queer theory, you will see queer studies, you will see queer scholarship, you will see it all over the place, but you won't see it used for people and don't use it for someone unless they say to. So you can call me queer all day. You can meet me for the first time and say, oh, hey, Van Kirk, you're that queer person I saw on the radio, on the podcast. And I'll be like, yeah, nice to meet you. But don't you use it on some stranger because they're not going to like it. You might get decked. Don't blame me. But (laughs) We're trying not to have that happen. I'm trying to help you out. I'm trying to back you up here. Don't use it. Um, It's a term used often to express fluid identities and orientations. This frustrates the pee goodling out of people because they'll be like Emily what does queer mean and I'll be like whatever the heck the person who told you just whatever they said and they'll be like they said it don't mean nothing I'll be like yeah whatever they said so it's it's really meant to be kind of a catch-all express-all fluid term it's also used um, interchangeably with LGBT or uh, in the context of, of the gay community, the way the gay community is used, the queer community, mm-hmm. because uh, some of us don't like being referred to as gay when we're not strictly gay. Um, so then, let's see, we've got I and A left before I get to S and C, right? Yes. So I have one I, I have two A's. Oh, I think you missed P? I it? did miss P. P. How could I do that? Well, it is on here, so I would have gotten to it. I'm okay. not going to leave you out. <laughs> but let's see, I... I stands for intersex. That's the one I stood that I talked about a little bit earlier. So intersex is an individual who has um, characteristics, mixed characteristics. Um, so this could be somebody who has maybe hormone differences, chromosomal differences, or has other differences that make it difficult for them to be categorized in one of two binary sex categories. Now, it is kind of interesting. They're finding that there's uh, really some more variety between our binary constructs of sex anyway. But historically speaking, we haven't had high levels or high records of numbers of intersex people. It turns out that it's mostly because we've been forcibly reassigning them at birth. Mm. Um, There's been some activism since the early 1990s. That's interesting. 1991 is when the first intersex advocacy group launched. So it's been about... 28 years Mm -hmm. Um, and there's some really interesting research going on right now because a number of people found out late in adulthood that they had surgeries infants on their genitalia because it just didn't look right right because we have to operate on infants for non-medical reasons and that is cis heteronormativism which is a thing I will define I promise um And then one of the A's is asexual, which is a person who lacks sexual attraction or desire, um, which is not a problem. A lot of times people hear this and they think it's a negative thing. So we talked about romantic attraction earlier. The reason that we brought that up is because some people don't experience that. Some people don't experience that just because they don't. Some people built different. Some people don't experience sexual attraction. They just don't. Mm -hmm. They just experience life differently. They got better things to do. They got more free time, too. I think that's something that a lot of the times people will not understand. And not understanding something can be very difficult. I know I am a pretty controlling person sometimes. And not understanding something, it it frustrates me. Sure. Um, But 
it's a time where we kind of have to separate ourselves and say, well, I may not understand it, but it is an identity and it it needs respect as well. Sure. Oh, I don't get it. I don't get it at all. It don't make sense to me. <laughs> right. But I don't have to get it to understand that they are fine and they're happy. And I love my friends that are asexual and I want them to be happy and healthy. Mm-hmm. And as long as they're happy and healthy and, you know, taking care of themselves, I'm good. But, yeah, so people can be in, within an asexual umbrella that exists. Uh, people can be asexual and aromantic or they can just be asexual and still be romantic, or they can be aromantic and still be sexual. It can be really complicated, but that's neither here nor there. That's a deeper dive kind of subject we do. Yes, that would be something um, more specific in a more specific either podcast or an ally training if exactly. you'd like to go. Exactly. And then we do have ally within our, our definitions here. It's our other A. And it's a person who's not LGBT but shows support for the LGBT community and promotes equality in a variety of ways. And then we have pansexual, and it's somebody who's not limited in sexual choice with regard to biological sex, gender, or gender identity, or a person who's attracted to people of all genders or without regard to gender. That is a lot of words and a big definition. I know a lot of people <laughs> will get this confused because it does have the word pan in it. it not does, attracted to cookware. It's not meaning cookware, we promise. It's more associated with the um, prefix that means multiple. All. all. Pan means all, like right. omni. All. So pan means all, and if you just kind of associate that with all, uh, you'll kind of figure out what pansexual means. So real quick, cis-heteronormativism. Let's break this down real quick. Ism means a philosophy or method of thought, all right? Norm means norm, like normal. It's a uh, regimen or role or norm as in like a prescribed rule of being. What what we feel as normal. Like you might expect someone to normally drive on the right side of the road because you live in America. Yes, yes. Hetero comes from heterosexual, which is straight, which we're going to define in just a second. And cis comes from cisgender which I'm going to define in a second. So cis-heteronormatism refers to a ideology or way of thinking in which all of the norms are based around a worldview in which the norms are centered in a, a viewpoint that is very cisgender and straight, which is not inherently bad, but does mean that you lack their perspective of LGBT individuals, which means you might miss some things or how they might cause harm for LGBT individuals. You may not realize some word that is said or some action that is taken towards someone is discriminatory or um, oppressive because there's certain norms that, of course, we all grow up with, especially in the South, if that's where you're from that we don't notice and we don't see what other people see due to their identities, their culture, their experiences. Sure, the same way I might cause harm to people of color, the same way I might be oblivious to ways I cause harm to men around me or other things like that just because I don't have their lived experiences. Um, But real quick, the definition of cisgender just means that you are an individual who identifies with the gender you were assigned at birth 
So when you were born, they took a look at your presented physical characteristics and they said, oh, they look like a boy. Pretty sure they're a boy. You grew up and you were like, yep, pretty sure I'm a boy. You're a cisgender person. Congratulations. We're very happy for you. I'm not being sarcastic. I just can't breathe. Um, (laughs) They're a little sick right now. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) The cough drops are strong today. Um, And then as for the other term, straight, I think everybody knows what I mean, but Straight is a slang term for uh, heterosexual. Heterosexual is a clinical term for straight, and it just means that you are attracted to people of a different gender than yourself. I don't like the phrase opposite gender because I'm non-binary, so what's my opposite? Exactly. That's a good question to pose, but we... We'll probably get into that later. That's a that's, a, we that's a, a long conversation. <laughs> when maybe we do a transgender specific yeah. podcast. Yeah. But I think I hit all the things I said I would define, right? Yes. I Yay. Think did. Yay. I thought the heteronormativism would be harder to define than it was. <laughs> it, it's a lot of big terms. And of course, you can always go over this podcast again because it's great. It's and recorded. I have all the definitions and I can like literally email them to you. I'm the only Van Kirk at Tarleton happy to get you these resources. I did not make them up. Of course. And you can always do your own research and we'll get swing back around to that at the very end where we give you some resources. Now, because the premise of this podcast is about <coughs> sorry. It's all right. Getting your questions answered. I'm going I've built a list of questions that a lot of people have been wanting answers to and maybe they didn't know how to ask them or who to ask them to because it's not maybe socially appropriate in a certain time. We're going to get those questions answered for you now in a very respectful way and a very judgment-free zone type of way. I think the first question that a lot of people ask themselves when they're first in touch with this um, LGBTQ plus community is, is sexual orientation a choice? If it was a choice, I don't think I would still be attracted to men. So I don't think so. (laughs) No. (laughs) I really don't. Um, Currently, all of the research that I've read has not reflected it being a choice. And also, if it was a choice, then um, conversion therapy would have much higher efficacy rates. So I really don't think so. Right, right. It being a choice, it would cause a lot of harm to oneself if you made that decision. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, also, if it, I, I, I really, I wasn't, it sounded like I was joking earlier, but I'm not. I really don't think it's a choice, because if it was a choice, like, I feel like people would choose differently. Mm-hmm. Right. All right. Now, we talked about transgender identities and all of that and pronoun usage. If you aren't supposed to assume someone's gender what are we supposed to call people, address people? Who said you're not supposed to assume someone's gender? Well, I... No, I mean, like, everybody categorizes everything all the time. No one ever said you're not supposed to immediately categorize things when you see them. People just said you're supposed to accept correction when you're corrected. Hmm. I didn't think about it that way. Yeah. I'm not asking for people to immediately look at me and know I'm non-binary. I'm asking for people to stop calling me ma'am when I ask them to stop. Hmm. That makes sense? That does make sense. Because I see strangers all the time and I go, oh, that's a really hot lady. If I find out later she's not a lady and he's actually a dude, 
I need to correct my behavior. I don't need to beat myself up for being wrong. Right. I think there's always that hint of concern. Well, like, oh, I, I don't want to offend this person. So I'm just, I don't know what to do if I say a word if I misgender someone if I call them the wrong thing they're going to be extremely upset with me but well I mean personally I just dropped honorifics entirely and I just excuse me but (laughs) (laughs) unfortunately there are some upbringings or fortunately that have you assign sir and ma'am a lot I also have that upbringing yes and I'm from Grayford Texas I get it it is something that is used as something to say politely and that that's great but you're right maybe it's just a way of communication that we need to change excuse me pardon me excuse me excuse me pardon me hello good afternoon can i bother you for a moment right there are plenty of ways to be polite to me without saying ma'am there are five thousand or um take into consideration what that person wants if you say something and they would prefer you not to say it maybe it's mm-hmm. something that you can try to adopt and on the flip side of that as a as a trans person who presents in a way that i know is not always obvious i don't bite people's head off when they miss or man me especially if i'm in a context where they know that they don't have a way of knowing most people aren't going to i feel like a lot of times if you're i feel like this is a loaded question sometimes mm-hmm. so it's not about assuming it's about accepting correction if you're given the opportunity because nine times out of ten, if you're in a context where you're not going to have the opportunity, don't worry about it. Mm-hmm. If it's the drive through person, don't worry about it. If it's your bank teller, don't worry about it. If it's your friend in the club, maybe, like, take ten minutes and find out. Mm. That's good. Now, here's a question that is uh, associated a lot with um, by erasure, which we didn't define before. But once I say the question, I think people will understand. Um, Are people who say they are bi, um, are they just afraid to come out as gay or lesbian? I guess maybe sometimes, but probably not all the time. I said I was bi, I don't know, 12 years ago. I still say I'm bi. Last time I checked, I'm not a lesbian (laughs) or gay. So... And I'm not invisible or erased. Um, The bi-erasure she's talking about is explicitly uh, the act in which individuals try to erase the presence of bisexual people from the LGBT community by describing their experiences as monosexual, which is to say strictly attracted to one gender. So a lot of times bisexual men are described as gay men, as is the case of Freddie Mercury, an extremely famous bisexual man. Um, or describe the experience of a bisexual woman as straight a lot of the time, or lesbian rather than bisexual. Um, But I would say that even if somebody is just coming out as bisexual on their way to coming out as gay, I don't care because people have their journeys, right? and that's okay. But also, um, people who are bi are bi, are bi, are bi, are bi, and bi people are real. And biphobia doesn't make that any less true. Now, we talked a little bit, as we're mentioning bisexual people, we talked a little bit about bisexual and the definition of that versus the definition of pansexual. Are they the same thing? I think it's like those Russian nesting dolls. Y'all know what I'm talking about? So, oh, like, yeah. so like bisexual is the big nesting doll and pansexual is the little nesting doll. 
but it's like the bigger definition. I don't know how to explain that. So um, bisexual is two plus and, and pansexual is all, but right. like it stacks up. Does that make sense? Yeah. So uh, if you don't know what a Russian nesting doll is, it's basically a huge doll and you open it up and there's a smaller one and then a smaller one and then a smaller one. Yeah. So bisexual could be used as an umbrella term. Yes, but not everybody thinks of it that way. Right. So I use both terms to describe myself, but when I was growing up, nobody used pansexual. So for me, bisexual has really strong attachments, Mm -hmm. and I will probably never stop using that. But a lot of people would describe my sexuality as being more accurately pansexual. Not that anyone can ever tell you what your sexuality is more accurately than you, and if they do, they're jerks. (laughs) All right? But yeah, I would say that they're not the same thing, but they're related because they're what's called multi-attracted, multi-gender attracted. Okay. All right. Now, here's something that unfortunately gets thrown around a lot. I know I've heard it before, but... I'm trying not to laugh right now. (laughs) I know. Uh, Is homosexuality caused by something or by trauma of any sort? Is homosexuality caused by something? Yeah, by being attracted to people of the same sex. Okay. It's it's caused by being gay. Homosexuality is caused by being gay. I think what the question is generally trying Sorry. to ask... It, no, it's okay. It's okay. Is if it's caused by something physical or something that's happened, something that's occurred. Research says no. So uh, I'm not trying to be snotty. No. I just don't have the stats on me right now. Of course. But I will say that that is something that has been tossed around, uh, historically speaking, mostly in the context of young women. There's this idea that women who have been sexually assaulted uh, by men turn to other women because, like, violence from men makes you long for a woman's touch because they're not going to hurt you. And I'm like, have you met women? Women can be violent, too. Um and that's a huge problem because there's an underreporting of violence within the LGBT community, particularly domestic violence within female female pairings. But that's neither here nor there. Um, but no, the research would show that there's no correlation between previous trauma and sexual orientation. Okay, okay. I know that's something that a lot of people would have liked to hear cleared up a little bit. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I mean the research th- the research is there, so it's not you're not alone for wondering that. And just cuz I got snarky about it doesn't mean it's a bad thing to wonder. It is something that a lot of people think about and it's just about researching and learning and thankfully we have science and we've had a lot of research done and done and done and experiments and etc. So I think we're going to go to why do people have to come out or gay people have to come out because you never asked us in the first place like we never asked them like people assumed we were straight oh we wouldn't have to come out if it wasn't assumed we were straight and like when did people assume that you were first when did people first assume you were straight i mean always yeah right always right I don't remember when my parents ever, like, I've always, it's always been assumed that I was a girl. It's always been assumed that I was going to marry a man. It's always been assumed that I was going to have 12 kids and, like, homeschool them forever. Boom. Homeschoolers. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Jumper clan for life. But, um... I'm homeschooled, too, so just a preference for that. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, for real, we wouldn't have to come out 
if y'all didn't put us in the closet. And that's not meant in a derogatory way. But straight people don't have to come out because there's never an in. It's, it's always never like, a shoved in yeah, situation. Yeah. It's like, oh, he's so cute. Look at him with his little girlfriend at Free K. Oh, she's boy crazy already. Oh, he already has a crush on that pretty girl on the TV. That doesn't happen when you're LGBT. Right? Mm-hmm. I don't have memories of that. I have memories of trying to hide my interest in girls from my mom because I got in trouble. Right. I think that goes back to um, that definition you mentioned before, uh, heteronormatism. Yes, yes. Of people growing up in just a worldview of maybe what their parents taught them or what the culture around them taught them was normal. Mm-hmm. And the way, especially in the South, we're taught is normal is boy, girl. Mm-hmm husband wife Mm -hmm. um i had a very gendered upbringing too because my parents are very 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 old school like i wasn't even taught how to change my own oil Mm. i was taught how to attract the attention of a nice man to come do it for me Mm. so it was a very complicated kind of situation so i'd say that's that's definitely it gay people have to come out because mm, other people make them Now is a question. Um, all right, why are people sensitive? Are gay people sensitive about their identity? I would say it's more than just gay people. I would say it's definitely most people in the LGBT identity mm-hmm. or in the LGBT community. And I would say that it's because something that is simultaneously a source of great pride and strength, but also vulnerability. It's something that has potentially been a source of great trauma, maybe a source of violence. I know for me, I've been physically attacked because of some of my identities before. I know that some of my friends, some of my students have been brutalized. I know that some of them have been um, put into violent situations, have been kicked out of their homes. Um, And some of them haven't. Some of them have never had an experience like that whatsoever. So we've been all over the place. Um, Each person has their own experiences. Right. But it's a huge part of their life. And for some of us, it's just the excitement of finally being in a place where we're ready to talk about it. The first time I was able to openly talk about having a girlfriend, I mentioned her probably four times a day every day for three weeks. And I don't even see her but once every month. Right. And it might be annoying. And I would have reacted super badly if someone had gotten on to me about it. And I would have been really sensitive. And I'm 28 years old. And it's because I never got to do that before. Mm -hmm. So I think the sensitivity comes in because it is so vulnerable. It is so unprotected. It is sometimes almost underdeveloped. Because right. they haven't had the ability to do it before, especially for maybe our first time in college population. If you're 18, if you're away from your parents for the first time, maybe this is your first time fully being able to explore that part of your identity. Right. It's a place where you can finally have a little bit more independence and really figure out who you are as a person. You might be more jumpy. You might be a little bit more skittish. I'd be more sensitive. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, so I want to get into a little bit more of the, I don't want to say politics, but um, what the government has set up now, because we talked about in the history about how homosexuality was criminalized before. Um, a lot of the times it was very punished um, pretty brutally. So what do, I'm going to rephrase that. Do LGBTQ plus people have the same rights as straight people? So I'm going to have to contextualize this a little bit. Do you mean legally? Do you mean should they? Legally. (laughs) I want to go. (laughs) So um, no. And that's on a federal level and on a state level. So currently I could be fired at any time um, for my job, for my sexuality, and I would have no recourse. I could be fired at any time from my job, from my gender, and I would have no recourse. They could literally put that in the firing paper and it would be legal. I could be denied housing in the state of Texas for being trans and it would be legal. Um, we're currently, and I might be mistaken, so please do not bite Cole's head off in the comments. Um, but currently I believe in Texas, we're not allowing, uh, al- we're allowing certain adoption agencies to not allow LGBT persons to adopt while we have a huge backlog of, um, children, children who need adoption. Right. A number of LGBT, uh, primarily LGB, if I'm going to be honest, because we don't even employ a number of trans individuals, but uh, a number of LGB educators in uh, Texas public education have lost their jobs for things like admitting they're married to a woman in public. Uh, Think Mansfield, if you want to Google it. She's still fighting it in court right now. She had a picture of her wife on a slideshow, Legasp. Um, And it's, it's really one of those things where People want to be like, oh, well, you're allowed to get married now, so be happy. But we still have people dying, and we still have trans women dying, and we still have trans men dying, and we still have people getting gay bashed, and we still, we still, we still, it's not enough. And that's about as political as I can afford to get right now, so. Mm-hmm. It, it's very unfortunate that a lot of people think it's just gone now, the mm-hmm. discrimination and the oppression. And that's where... People like you guys, our listeners, come in and are like, well, I kind of want to know these answers to these questions. I don't really know who to ask, but you can always listen to this and get those answers and kind of expand what you thought the world looked like a little bit. Mm -hmm. Millennials and Gen Z have the power. Everybody else is aging out. And honestly, millennials, we're not doing anything. So Gen Z, y'all need to do something. So I think for our final question, we're going to go to... If the listeners do have friends or family that they know of in the LGBTQ community, how should they approach this? Um, I think that it's really important to come in with an open mind and make it obvious that you want to listen. Sometimes people are going to tell you things that aren't going to make sense to you, and it might just take time to process. Sometimes you might have to do a lot of outside research Sometimes you're going to have to make sense of it without them, which sucks. It can be really hard, but they're not going to be able to explain it to you, and that's okay. Um, If you need help, 
I'm a resource, even if you're listening to this and you're not a student on campus, or if you're not a student on any of our campuses, you can email me at vancrick.tarleton.edu, and I will help you make sense of it, okay? Um, but listen, be kind, and ask questions. But do it in private, you knuckleheads. <laughs> it's better, I think, to have that one-on-one, or if there's a person you're very comfortable with talking to it about it, or you can always go on Facebook and find um, 100.7 The Planet. That's where this podcast is based out of. Message us. I control a lot of the messaging on there. So those questions can always be asked to me. Now, we went over a lot of information and a lot of answers that you kind of have to digest, and that's okay. Um, there's a, a lot of material to work out here about minority groups. Um, and if you'd like to know more, for specifically LGBTQ plus individuals, PFLAG, it's P-F-L-A-G dot com or dot org, excuse me, is a good resource, especially for those questions. They have a long list of questions and their answers. If you'd like to know a little bit more about the modern, I mean, it wasn't that long ago, but the more modern area era of LGBTQ plus advocates, um, visit glad.org, and that's G-L-A-A-D.org. That'll be a good place for that. And also, <laughs> Emily wrote this down for me, um, for dummies, pretty much, is hrc.org. And that's where it's a generalization of all we've talked about and a lot more. Most of my definitions came off of hrc, so. Right. Now, if you... Like I said before, follow us for updates about making space at, and find the planet 100.7 um, on Facebook and Instagram. A full list of topics of the season will be hopefully drawn out pretty soon. And we'll be discussing things anywhere from mental disability, physical disability, to maybe even the N-word coming up soon. So please join me and a new expert every week and get those tough questions answered. Bye. This has been a Tarleton Radio Network podcast with production from AJ Heyer and Taylor Welch. Find more great shows by searching Tarleton Radio Network wherever you get your podcasts.